Well, I am also pretty jazzed that we have an amazing speaker. The last time, the last time you were here, yeah. I had to change your title. I, had to, I was texting the guys last night when we were having dinner, and I'm like, he wasn't, he wasn't doctor last time. <laughs> but, but the newly, y'all, the newly, first of all, Alan Griffin has been a friend of of Camden and I, he and his beautiful wife have been uh, dear friends of ours for 15, 20 years. He has been a friend of CFA Church. He's been preached on this platform many, many times. And you are about to hear one of the best preachers in the nation. But last, last time he was Alan Griffin. Now he is the newly uh, coronated, newly graduated, newly celebrated. Come on, y'all, give it up, CFA, for Dr. Alan Griffin as he comes to bring the word today. Good morning, CFA. I hope you're doing well. I just want to check in with you. How you doing? Okay, how's your mama? I'm just checking in. It's, I'm family. In case you didn't know, we go way back, y'all. Way back. I'm talking way back. Last, the first time I came here, the week before we came, uh, Carmen was here. Some of y'all been here that long. You remember the first time Carmen came. Okay, we're talking about the champion. That's what I'm talking about, Carmen, okay? Every campus, some of y'all young out there, you don't even know what I'm talking about. God bless your little heart, okay? But I have a message for you today. I hope you're ready. Grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Thank you so much, Pastor, and each of our campus leaders for allowing me to serve you today. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord. Yesterday, I was at uh, Concord Mills where I picked up these fabulous jeans. And while I was there, I noticed something. It was standing room only jam-packed in the mall. And so I looked at all those people. I said, mm-hmm, y'all better be at church tomorrow with your little crowded selves. And look what the Lord has done. Look at all these wonderful people. Look around and say, this is good. I like this here. Y'all, man, shoot, we're going to have some church up in here. We're going to cut a rug for Jesus. If you're at Mark chapter 8, say hallelujah. If you're not there yet, say hold on now. Okay, y'all need to hurry up. Okay, we don't have all day, y'all. Um, by the way, I'm going to be doing some, um, some preaching today. Um, I heard that uh, teaching is telling it and preaching is yelling it. So I'm going to be doing some yelling. Don't be scared, okay, because I might be yelling at you. But don't be afraid. I love you, Holy Spirit fingers. Okay? Don't be scared. Um, by the way, as you walk out the door, you can meet my wife. My wife and I, hopefully I'll get to join her out there. We'll be out at our table right outside the doors to your right. It's your exit zone, in fact. And you can meet her. Honey, why don't you wave at everybody? This is my bride, Hush Marine. That's right. She's mine. <laughs> And we've been married 23 years? 23. 23. No, girl. 23. I just added a year. I figure after 22, you're working on 23. Does that make sense to you? Because that makes sense. I, I've been doing it for a long time. My wife always yells at me. You're lying. No. That's faith, girl. We're going to make it to 20. Looks like we made it. That's what I'm talking about. Shoot. 
But you can meet my bride out there. We have two sons, Israel and Isaiah, uh, 17 and 15 years old, respectively. And we often tell people, what do they look like? They look like me with her hair. They have hair. It's awesome. Um, but you can meet my bride out there. And we have some great uh, ministry material for, for you. We have our, our newest series. Um, I wish I was preaching from it today, but God gave me a specific word for you this morning. Um, but this series is called The Aroma. Ooh, I'm going to tell you right now. Understanding your value to God and understanding who you are in Christ is of the utmost important if we are going to be able to function in a society that tells us who we are based on a lot of things that have nothing to do with the creator. Mm. And so you can get this series called The Aroma, and I open it up, um, make me feel good, and everybody go, ooh, ah, go. Thank you very much. Do it backwards. I love all of you. If you did that on our Davidson campus, you're amazing, okay? And you can get this series back there. Um, it's DVD and CD. And uh, at the end of every message, I give an opportunity for people to start their Jesus journey, to start the relationship with Christ. So if you know people who don't know Jesus, get them. Put them in your car. Put the DVD or the CD in and lock the doors. Don't let them out. They get hungry, go to a drive through they get thirsty, go to a drive-thru. But don't let them out. Mm -hmm. They're going to get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Then you can take an offering in the front seat for gas. <laughs> it was awesome. Man, where was I? This, this is going to be so fun. Okay, I also have our book. It's our best-selling book uh, called Undefeated, all about living in supernatural victory. And uh, we have a special price if you get these two. I don't know what that price is. Ask my Pookie, okay? Her name's Hush Marine, but I call her Pookie. She'll be out there. Um, I'd love to sign your book for you. Our book uh, is definitely uh, made an impact. In fact, when we released it, um, good catch, love. Our, our publisher had asked me to write on any subject I desired. And so I said, I want to write about supernatural victory. Because whether you're a brand new saint or you've been living for God your whole life, victory means that when people meet you who knew you before, even if before was a week ago, they go, you just keep getting better and better. You keep growing. You keep moving forward. And you can say, I know, look what the Lord has done. That's victory. A continual progression towards God's best in your life. And so we wrote this book, and I begged Jesus, Jesus, please let somebody buy it. <laughs> and they did. Our book shot up our publisher's bestsellers list. Get this. My book outsold Joseph Prince and Joe Osteen's books. Hey. For two weeks. Um, it was just it was the greatest two weeks of my life. If you're ready for the word, somebody say, let's go. Awesome. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. The Bible says this. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, he said that because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 men and women and children, uh, I should say men plus women and children, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 men plus women and children, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? 
Father, I pray this morning that we would understand. We would grow in our knowledge of your word and we'd be transformed from the inside out. Shifted from glorious victory to glorious victory. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. I love preaching the Bible because the Bible has everything we need wrapped up in one book. It's powerful. And when I read this, I can't help but think about Jesus talking about yeast. Right at the beginning of this chapter, yeast. He's talking about yeast. What is he talking about? And, and it reminds me of my mama. See, my mama is a baker. She's, she's not a great chef. Not everybody's a great chef. My daddy was a great chef. My mama, baker. She could bake up everything. And my mama would bake from scratch. Mm-hmm. Y'all know what that is, right? Scratch. I ain't a cuss word. Scratch. And then my mom would get that dough together to make bread. And she'd get that dough and she'd knead that dough and work that dough. And she would just, man, she'd get all into it. And my mom was a 54-year public school teacher. Actually, 52 years public school teacher. And she would make that dough in the shape of her principal. And she'd punch it. Y'all know that's true. And then she'd work that dough and knead that dough and knead the dough and knead the dough, okay? And she'd knead it, and then she'd, she'd make it in the shape of my daddy's head because she was married to my daddy for 54 years, and she punched that. This is a stress reliever. It's how you stay married. And then she would make the dough into a bowl, and she would pour the yeast in it. Not until after she told me to go in the kitchen, go in the cabinet, grab a, a little bowl, put a packet of yeast in it. And she said, wait, 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 wait. Before you put the yeast in it, look at the date on the package. Why? Because yeast was a living culture. And then we would pour not cold, not hot, but what? Warm water in that bowl. It would start off just a little bit warmer than your finger. would. It's warm. If your finger sense is warm, that means the temperature is higher than what's your body temperature? 98.6 degrees. Hopefully, if it's not, you need to leave right now. <laughs> leave. 99? Nope. Out. <laughs> Can you imagine if we told people a year ago we'd be shooting you with a gun in the forehead every time you walked in the church? People would never believe us. Come here. You go. No. That's awesome. Where was I? And she'd mix that yeast up. It's interesting because after she got done mixing, it would be lukewarm, right the temperature of body, right at the temperature of life. Interesting. That living culture required the temperature of life to function. And then she would pour it into the dough and knead the dough and knead the dough. And then she'd put it in a bowl, put a towel over the top and wait. And what would happen as she waited? It would rise. Amazing. And then she'd say, Alan, come here. And I'd be like, yay, smack. I'd smack that dough and make it sink. And then we'd knead it up again and put it in the bowl and put the towel over the top of it. And what would happen? It'd rise again. Then she'd make sure the oven was heated to 400 degrees. Now, does this sound like a spiritual lesson? Jesus is talking about dough and yeast and, and, and this stuff? No, Jesus is talking about living culture. 
He's talking about a culture that's alive. And what he's saying is this, there's something in you that's alive. And I'm going to tell you right now, it was in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus said that he was the bread of life. You need to understand that you are made in God's image. So what Jesus said he is, he declares you are. So lean over to your neighbor and say, you are bread. I love bread. <laughs> I love you and I love bread. How many of you love bread? Raise your hand. Some people are gluten-free. I'm gluten-full. You know what I'm saying? I love bread. I love all kinds of bread. Some people, I love, you know, wheat bread. How many are wheat bread people? You're like, I love wheat bread. Woo-hoo! How many of you are like that, that weird five-grain, you know, hippie bread? You know, hippie, hippie bread. All the grains and chewy, crunchy bread. How many of y'all like white bread? You're like, I love white bread, white bread with barbecue. Woo! People are like, don't, don't be scared. You're like, I don't want to raise my hand for white bread. <laughs> scared no white bread pumpernickel you know no this this is a free space this is this is a joyful space all bread is good bread man bread is amazing i love me some bread and no matter what kind of bread you like it has a culture it has a culture whether it's leavened or unleavened there's a culture of that bread and, and you need to understand that you, you, your culture, who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a living culture of victory. You are not cake, you're bread. Cake is weak, tastes good. It's sweet all the time. In the bowl, it's sweet. It, as, as essential elements, it's sweet. Even when you smell it in the bowl, it's sweet. But bread is different. You know why? Bread is victorious. See, I'm a, I'm a serial tramper. Does anybody hear a tramper? People are like, what does that mean? When I was a kid, tramping's when you come through the house like my, I did as a kid. Yay! Making noise, stomping on everything. And I get in the kitchen, I'd be like, Mama, what's in the oven, Mama? Hey, Mama, what's in the oven? My mom be like, stop that tramping. You keep that tramping. That cake in the oven is going to It's going to fall. You know why? Cake is weak. It can't even handle 400 degrees. You bake it at 350. Unless it's a bunt cake, because bunt cakes are from Jesus. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Shoot. But bread, it gets beat on, it gets mistreated, and even if you leave it alone, it just rises. And when you put the heat against that bread, that bread doesn't stay down. Even if everything around it is turbulent, it just rises. I've come here to say something today. You were made for the culture we're living in right now. You were made for the turbulent times we're living in right now. Because no matter what happens, no matter what goes down, we, the church of Jesus Christ, we will rise. We will come up. We will be victorious. And we're going to do it together. No matter how hot it gets, no matter how bad it gets, we come together. We were made for struggles. We were made for this fight. Shoot. Look at your neighbor and say, you're beautiful bread. Mm -hmm. You might even want to look back at your man and say, I'm hot bread, baby. <laughs> I said Luke 6. It's John 6 where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Right after this scene... They come to a town called Bethsaida. Now, why did Jesus talk about yeast and then 
traveled to a town. You see, Jesus was asking questions, probing the limits of the disciples' understanding so that he could show their ignorance to what was really happening around them. There were two major influences at that time. It was Herod Antipas and the Pharisees. Both of them were corrupted leaders. The Pharisees were supposed to be the, 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 the generations beyond the Levites that were supposed to lead worship in the temple and protect the temple and theologically protect the ministering of the word of God. And then you had Rome took over the lands of God's people. During that time, Rome said, if you worship Caesar as God, we'll leave you alone. If you don't, you'll be eviscerated. So these Levites, who used to carry swords and defend the temple, were now defeated. And now you have this puppet leader named Herod Antipas. And he admitted and confessed Caesar as God. What? And then the Pharisees did the same. And so rather than get in the crosshairs of the Roman war machine, they would deny Christ's divinity and authority. And walk in an influence of distraction. I could preach about that, but I got to hurry up. In verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spit on the man's eyes, hold up, he spit on the man's eyes. Now listen, I've been studying the Bible a long time. I studied this story for about 30 hours. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I searched the whole Bible trying to figure out if Jesus spitting on people was spiritual. It's not. I just want to let you know, he did it just for fun. <laughs> if I could have a superpower, I don't need to fly. I don't even need super strength. I don't want x-ray vision. I don't want to see your bones. I want to spit on people and heal them. I want to just walk up to people that are sick and go, there you go. That's all I want. They'd be like, my mother-in-law's driving me crazy. She's so mean, bring her over here. <laughs> Is that bad? I think it is, but it's funny. He spit on people and healed them. This is crazy. So Jesus spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. Mm -hmm. His sight was restored, yes, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home. And said, don't even go into the village. Now, I'm, I'm about halfway done preaching already. And I'm going to tell you something right here. When I was growing up, I thought Jesus made a mistake. I thought when Jesus laid his hands on this man the first time, and the man couldn't quite see properly, that Jesus messed up. I was about nine or ten years old the first time I got this story, and I was giggling. And I was like, ooh, Jesus made a mistake, y'all. There's hope for me in math class. But I was wrong. Jesus didn't make a mistake. You see, that's why we got to keep reading the word. We got to keep studying the word. And when the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, a workwoman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What that translates in understanding is this, that we must apply all of knowledge and wisdom to our gleaning of the scripture so we can fully understand what's happening. I thought Jesus messed up. He didn't. The reason I didn't understand that is because I needed, ooh, I'm about to scare some people, don't be scared. I'm fully orthodox, okay? But I'm going to tell you this, you need more than the Bible to study the Bible. Okay? 
See, there's a battle going on right now in culture. It's, it's a, a battle, a perceived battle between science, technology, and theology. And the reason there's a battle going on is because the enemy knows that if we take science, technology, and theology and apply them together, we will have a powerful understanding of God's word, of our history, and who we are and our purpose in life. Everything will change when we combine science, theology, and technology. And the reason why we didn't understand this story, and I heard preachers, and God bless them, God bless them, great men and women of God, that preach this without an understanding of of, of science and technology, they messed it up. Oh, he didn't have enough faith. Really? Because Jesus didn't say that. Oh, he had sin in his life. Oh, really? Because Jesus didn't say that either. When did sin stop Jesus from doing stuff? My sin didn't stop him from saving me, and that's the greatest miracle of all time. So we, we've read this wrong because we didn't understand the science and technology and the theology. Let's break this down really quick. Um, Jesus healed what? His, his eyes. His eyes. Did you notice in the story there was something that happened in the story? The Bible says some people brought a blind man to Jesus for him to touch him. Who brought Jesus, the man to Jesus? The Bible is very specific. Whenever somebody brings someone to Jesus, they tell us who it is. Why? Why is that important? Because if you had a family member who needed healing and, and, and you knew that the man who could heal with a touch was walking by, wouldn't you bring them to Jesus? But this man's family didn't. You know, it's a curse in Hebrew custom to have someone infirmed in your home and you not care for them. So this man had trouble at home. How many of y'all got trouble at home? How many of y'all got some crazy family members? Raise your hand. Everybody got a drunk Uncle Bootsy. <laughs> okay? This man had trouble at home. He had problems at home because the healer was coming by and his family didn't bring him to Jesus. I love how Jesus always asks before he does any miracles. In this particular translation, we don't see him asking, but we understand that this man had, had garnered help to get to Jesus. And if he didn't want a healing, he wouldn't have garnered the assistance of strangers. But Jesus similarly will ask, what can I do for you? Do you know why? Because Jesus has a value of those differently abled. I use that term very specifically. We need a full understanding and theology of disability. Because not everybody who has a different ability than we do needs a healing. I like to say this, take your diss off other people's abilities. If you were born ADD, you know what? That is not a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. If you have a different eye ability, vision, it's not a mistake. God knew what was happening, and he has a plan for you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Stop hating on what you are and what you're able to do. You are his handiwork, a a craftsmanship. You're hand created by God. All the rest of creation, he spoke into existence. You, he said, let me make, let us make humanity in our image. He got dirty with you. He made you. Me, the Bible says, the dust of the ground. He made me of the dark, rich soil of the earth. Not manure, full soil. White people, he made you out of sand. That's why you like the beach so much. I just made that up. That's a new thing. You know what I'm saying? Native Americans, what? Clay, beautiful, 
beautiful clay. It's amazing. He made us. Oh, man, the, the, the diversity and the beauty of his creation. <laughs> mm. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus spits on him, which I love. Lays his hands on him, which I love. And he says, what do you see? And the man says, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So Jesus lays his hands on him again. This time the man is fully sees, sees everything the scripture says clearly. Now here we have a, a, a miraculous healing that took me years to understand. Because Jesus hears the man, heals the man's sight. But the man couldn't see. What was happening? Well, let's figure out real quick. How do your eyes work? How do your eyes work? Here's what we know. We know that light travels in electromagnetic radiation traveling in waves. Okay? The amplitude, that's the height to the depth of the wave, determines the brightness. And the frequency of the wave determines the color. Your retina has millions of photoreceptors that, con that transform electromagnetic signals to electric signals directly into the visual cortex within the thalamus of your brain. This sounds deep, but it's not. You have rods and cones in your eye. You know about that. The rods receive black and white color. The cones receive the details in color when fully illuminated. This is important. People always talk about that. I, I don't see the color. The reason is you're not fully illuminated. When you get a full light in you, you can see the color. Dark situations, dark rooms, you can't see color. But when the light comes in, you can see the fullness of reality. What I'm telling you is that when Jesus is fully illuminated in your heart, you see everything the way it truly is. Your vision is shifted for you to understand what you're seeing. In other words, the love of God gives me the ability to celebrate everything that God has made. God has made you different than me. Viva la difference. I love the difference. Celebrate the difference. I celebrate your Irishness. I celebrate your Scottishness. I celebrate your uh, uh, Australian. I celebrate your chocolate. I celebrate your vanilla. I celebrate your dulce de leche. I celebrate who you are because his love gives me a love for who you are. I can see you. This is good. This is good. I'm almost done. Here we go. So that light impacts what we see. Do you know that nearly half your cerebral cortex is involved in vision? That's huge. And the brain is able to orient upside down because your lens, when your lens receives light, your lens flits the image of what you're seeing upside down. So your brain sees upside down as long as you and I live right side up. Mm -hmm. Nearsighted means things that are far away are difficult to see. Farsighted means things are difficult to see up close. And the shape of your lens determines your vision. Ooh, I'm about to preach. And I'll, don't worry, just give me 10 more minutes. The shape of your lens determines your vision. In, in other words, if your lens is, starts out shaped a certain way, it determines how you see, nearsighted or farsighted. Some of us are really farsighted. We, we, we can see things far away. We have a heart for things far away. But when it comes to our family, the people closest to us, we got issues seeing them through the eyes of Christ. Or some of us see our family only. But when it comes to missions and outreach and people aren't like me, they have a problem seeing that. We have a problem understanding that. But what I've learned is this. There's such thing as corrective vision. 70% of Americans require corrective vision. 
And that allows us to see things far and near the way we are supposed to. Presbyopia is called old eye. It's as we get older, the micro muscles around our, our lens fail to shape the lens so that we can see things up close and therefore we use readers. They say that you can do micro muscle uh, exercises with your eyes and get that vision back. And I said, no. It's hard to get this on the treadmill. I'm not putting this on the treadmill too. I'm just saying, and I'm going back to preaching. I guess the question then is, if the shape of your eye impacts your vision, vision, what shape are you in? Uh-huh. My, my, my wife told me to get in shape. I said, baby, round is a shape, girl. There's more round in the world than anything else. The sun, the moon, me. Mm-hmm. So Jesus wanted to heal the man. I'm almost done. Just relax. Jesus wanted to heal the man, but he did something he's never done before, nor have I seen him done after. Jesus grabs the man by the hand and walks him. You, come here, handsome man. You can take off your mask. Neither one of us have cooties, I promise. I need them to see your face. So Jesus gets a hold of this man who could not see. I'd use sanitizer. And he walked him out of Bethsaida. Where did he walk him? They left, stay right there, they left town. Has Jesus done that before? Oh, I need to do a miracle. I got to move you. What was going on in Bethsaida? Bethsaida means house of the hunt. Transliterated, it means this, a place where they chased after everything that was trending, everything that was cool, everything that was hot, the new guru, the new concept, the new idea, the new purpose, the new identity, instead of the eternal, significant word of God. They were chasing after gurus and specialists, but they were not listening to the eternal principles. So when Jesus showed up in Bethsaida, they didn't understand who he was. He said it in Scripture. He said, Luke Chen, woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe means, uh-oh. Or when we were in junior high, ooh, that's what woe means. He said, woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Korasin. If I'd done the miracles I did in you in these other villages, the whole village would have been saved in an instant. But you, when I came to you, you couldn't see me. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. Okay. And so because of their problem with pursuing what made their ears tickle, they couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't, they rejected him as master, savior, and hero. So Jesus goes, I'm going to take you physically blind man out of a spiritually blind village. And I'm going to bring you out here. And there he spit on him. (laughs) Can I get my mask? That'd be like a black-on-black crime right now. This this, is not good, okay? So I ain't going to spit on you. But he spit on him, and then he laid his hands on him, and the man could see. He went from blind to seeing. He says, what do you see? I see people that look like trees walking around, right? The man could see. The word Jesus used there was horao. Orao. I like saying it. I like using that. Arra. Isn't that fun? Orao. You speak Spanish at all? No, none? Neither do I. Horao. 
I like that. That's fun. That word means to see with your mind. Ooh, so Jesus knew his technology and his science. Watch this. Jesus didn't ask him, what do you visualize? Jesus asked him, what do you see with your mind? We use the word perceive. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, preacher? It means he didn't make a mistake. See, see, uh, stay there. Science, or the study of the body, human anatomy, has discovered something. That people who've gone a long time without vision or gone their whole life without vision lack a particular ability. And that is for them to understand when they do get their vision or science allows them to, through doctoral, uh, uh, I should say medical procedures, they're able to see. They have a problem. It's called uh, 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 visual agnosia or post-blindness syndrome. What happens here is whatever they see, their mind has no category to understand. So they'll see a woman and go, you got to be a man. I, I, can't, I can't really understand. You, I see pastor, I don't know, that could be a, a really tall animal. I, I, I can't tell what he is because there's no category in their mind to identify what they're seeing. And what they discovered is that you can fix the problem. Isn't it cool? Watch YouTube, man. You'll see these little babies that have surgery, and they can see their mom, and they're looking around they're like, ah. They look at their mom, ah, because they're so excited. This is what they do. This is so cool. They'll take someone who was formerly blind that now can see who has visual agnosia. This is modern technology, but Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. And they'll turn them, face me, and they'll put someone in front of them 18 inches from their face, don't be scared. You're a germaphobe, aren't you? I'm going to kiss you right on your lips. I'm going to turn your caramel into a Milky Way. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> He's like, Pastor, Pastor ain't going to help you. He's been helping me abuse young people his entire ministry. <laughs> Come over here to the center. I want the, the, uh, our campuses to get a good vision of this. But they would take... The person who was formerly blind and put someone they fully love and fully trust, come here, 18 inches away from their face. Now, we're not going to get exactly 18 inches. And they would stare them in the eye. And they said that as they stare them in their eye, their pupils will dilate 40%. And when that happens, their mind has been open for suggestion. Then they would take pictures. This is your mom. This is your dad. They take pictures of people they, that they're supposed to know and show them, this is a dog. They're awesome. This is a cat. They're evil from Satan. <laughs> and they'd show them, <laughs> cats are awesome. They would show them all these pictures. And then when the person, they, they watch their, their heart rate. And when their heart rate goes up because they're getting stressed out, they would put the cover over their eyes again and wait. Till they calm down. Then they would do it again. They'd put someone they fully love and trust within 18 inches of their face. they wait for the pupils to dilate. And then they start showing them pictures again. This is a camel. This is a dog. This is a bird. Until they build those categories. And once they get to a particular point where they've received a certain number of suggestions, their mind has now built neural pathways with the proper acids and proteins for their mind to accept visually what they're seeing and to assign a value to what they're seeing. Thank you, sir. What I'm telling you is this. America has had a lot of sight, but we don't have vision. 
We don't see people for who they are. But God wants to give us vision. He wants to help us. Do you know how you fix post-blindness syndrome? Do you know how you fix visual agnosia? By putting your face in the face of someone you love and trust. Who is that someone? His name is Jesus. And when we look into his eyes, we will get a full understanding of his value for humanity, his value for our neighbor close to us, his value for our family right there with us. We'll understand who we are and who he is and who we are to him. And we'll stop not seeing people. We'll start to see them the way he does. When I walk through the mall and I see little thuggy looking kids with the pants hanging down, you know what happens to me? Because I've been looking at Jesus, I go, oh, look at those little peanuts walking around. Just little peanuts. When I see a, a lady walking around, her outfit's way too boombastic, if you know what I mean. You know what I think? Oh, nobody loves her. Let me, let me love her. Let me be the person that cares. About her, about her. She's trying to get attention so bad. She just needs to know that we are here. We're family. How much different would our community be if everybody in it was family? That is vision. That's what we need. And that's what Jesus will provide. We used to sing a song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's amazing what happens when we look at Jesus. Can I pray for you today that we will all have that encounter every single day that will rise up and go, uh-uh, I'm going to put my face in the book, not in Facebook. I'm going to put my face in the book until I see him. And once I see him, when I leave my house, I'll see this world differently. I'll see my brother and my sister as my brother and my sister. The slave is my brother. The, 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 the messed up drug dealer is my brother. The, the, the failure on the street is my brother. Everybody in our community, they're my family. Will you bow your head with me right now? Father, we need you. We need you. God, we don't need a, an image of you. No, 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 no. We want you to meet us right now. We want an encounter with your spirit. Like Moses, Father God, we want to see your glory. God, I know that when I see you, I'll see everybody differently. I won't be afraid, won't be angry, not for the same reasons. And Lord, I pray today that you would give us, Lord, not just sight, but vision. And allow us to see our world the way you do. Father, I pray for those in this room who don't have a relationship with you, for those in our campuses who don't have a relationship with you, that, oh God, you would meet us even now and allow us to start our journey walking and living with you eternally. 
with your head bowed for a moment, maybe that's you, and you're saying, Alan, pray with me. My relationship with Jesus, I want it to begin or I want it to begin again. Pray for me. Yes, I will. If you'll just raise your hand when I count to three, I want to include you in my prayer. Ready? One, here we go. You're going to raise that hand and we're going to pray and your relationship with Jesus will begin or it will begin again. Two, oh, we're almost there. Raise that hand. Three, lift it up right now. Yes, 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 my friend. Yeah, so good. Awesome. You can put your hand down. Say this prayer with me, church. Say, Jesus. Lift it up a little bit louder and say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life so I could have new life. I ask for your forgiveness to take the place of my sin. I'm yours forever. And now I get to have you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you meant that prayer, your journey with Jesus has begun or it's begun again. And you don't have to worry because he's with you. I love the final thing Jesus said to that man. He said, don't go back in the village. Go home. In other words, we got to get it right there. And then we can get it right everywhere. So our command this week from God is this. Go home and see your family differently. And then make sure that everybody outside your home is the same. They're your family. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you soon.